0: Jeremiah chapter 22 As we have a pretty cool study for us tonight. Um, of, yeah, how can we be right with God? And it's kind of cool because when we get into chapter 23, it talks about how we can have the righteousness of God. You guys, one day we're going to stand before him. And, um, you know, righteousness just speaks of that whole place where we as God's people are able to stand in the holy presence there in heaven forever and we'll never be good enough you guys you'll never uh, read enough chapters of the bible go to church enough times do good works give enough money offer up prayers we'll never uh, be good enough to earn our way into heaven the only way we can be right with god is by believing on the lord jesus christ and so if you're here tonight or maybe you're watching online and you're wondering lord how can i uh, be saved how can i be right with god i pray that you would know the simple answer is jesus One day we're going to die, you guys, Uh, not to sound morbid. I don't want to sound weird or anything, but we have to be ready for that day. And it's kind of crazy because when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, uh, not only will you go to heaven when you die, but you'll also have life on earth while you live. Not that it's going to be easy or perfect, but it will have purpose and you'll have peace and you'll have joy and you'll have power because it is a, a battle. One of the things I was thinking about, because Jeremiah is a a tough book to go through because of the fact that he's been preaching. He's actually, when it all is said and done, he's been preaching for 40 years to a nation that wouldn't listen. And so there's a lot of warnings here. And so you, you wonder, well, why so many warnings? And the answer is because we're in a war, you guys. There's a war going on. There's a war going on for me. You know, if the devil can get me as a man, then I know that's going to affect my wife and that'll affect my children and even the church. And so there's a war going on. And that's why we have to listen to the warnings. I I don't know if you guys are in the same place as me, but I always feel like at home, you know, like the Holy Spirit is always speaking to me. And he's saying, hey, Manny, you got to, you got to watch your tongue or, hey, Manny, you got to be careful that you, you know, spend time with your children. You know, even though they're older now, still, the Lord still has them in my life for for a certain reason. And make sure that you speak words of edification and not words, you know, to belittle them and just different things all along the all day long. He's always sharing things with me. Because even though I'm old, um, he's still trying to change me and make me more like Jesus. And so I was thinking about the midweek service and about people who come to midweek. And uh, it blesses my heart. I know some people can't make it because their schedules don't permit them or or different responsibilities they have. But I was thinking, Lord, you're doing a really cool work in these people. I hope they know that. I hope that the people that come, they know that they are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. You're his masterpiece. And sometimes you don't feel it, you know, because we live in this body and a lot of times our feelings don't match up. But I pray that you would know it. God is working in you. God loves you. And it's so cool to be able to see even how he takes his word and he uses his word to transform our lives. And so Jeremiah, a tough book um let's see how far we get today we're going to start in chapter 22 and verse 1 it says um thus this is what the lord said to me and i'm doing new living translation and this is difficult for me can i ask you guys a question if i ask you a question will you be honest how many of you guys read the new king james usually you usually read the new king james okay and uh how many of you read the new living translation i'm just curious okay some of you do okay cool All right. And how many of you don't read? No, I'm just joking. I want to ask you that. No, I was just curious because this chapter, and I'm just, you guys are my friends. I can just share real casually with you. It's really a lot better in the New King James as far as the accuracy goes, okay? But still, um, midweek service, we're doing New Living Translation because there are some aspects where it's easier to understand. And so I guess at the end of the day, you guys, I think we all know this that we have to read it probably in multiple versions. And I pray as you grow in your walk with the Lord that um, you do that, you know, because originally it was written in Hebrew and Greek. And so at the end of the day, those are the only perfect translations. But look at verse 1, chapter 22. It says, this is what the Lord said to me. Go over and speak directly to the king of Judah. Say to him, listen to this message from the Lord, you king of Judah sitting on David's throne. Let your attendants and your people listen too. This is what the Lord says. Be fair-minded and just. Do what is right. Help those who have been robbed. Rescue them from their oppressors. Quit your evil deeds. Do not mistreat foreigners, orphans, and widows. Stop murdering the innocent. He says, if you obey, check this out, if you obey me, there will always be a descendant of David sitting on the throne here in Jerusalem. The king will ride through the palace gates and chariots and on horses with his parade of attendants and, and subjects. But if you refuse to pay attention to this warning, I swear by my own name, says the Lord, that this palace will become a pile of rubble. And so here we see Jeremiah is instructed to go to the palace and speak to the king. And it's very simple to present options of blessing or cursing. You know, he was uh, instructed to speak to the king, to his cabinet, and to really the culture of that day. And it's real simple, if they obeyed, blessings would abound, the dynasty of kings would continue. You can visualize them there on the chariots and their horses riding through those gates. And so God says to, to them, same thing he says to us, you guys, just obey me. If you obey my word, I will bless your life. Not that it's easy. We again, we, we're, we're not talking about. I don't know how you guys interpret blessings. Hopefully, you don't interpret blessings as an easy life, healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. If I'm, you know, blessed, and I'm gonna have, a, you know, a huge mansion or a house or, you know, the fancy car and all that healthiness. No, it's not. That's not what blessings are. Blessings are God's will for my life, and God says, if you obey, that's what you'll experience. What you were made to enjoy your purpose and so if you obey and that you know challenges me i don't know if you guys ever get challenged by that but man even as a pastor a lot of times i disobey and god has just really been on me he said no walk in holiness man make sure you obey and it's really simple if you do you'll be blessed if you don't just the way that the laws of the land are wired you're going to actually be cursed. What we see right here, God says, if Jerusalem, you don't obey, this house will be a rubble of ruins. And that house might be in reference to the palace. It might be in reference to the temple. And also, in all reality, might be in reference to the dynasty of David, his house, so to speak. Now, we know literally it does speak of the palace, but all those things are inclusive as well. And so we've seen this actually over and over again in the book of Jeremiah, back in chapter 17, 24 through 25. It was something similar. God said, if you obey me regarding the Sabbath law, then you will be blessed. I don't know about you guys, but for me, I'm like, thank you, Lord, you make it so simple, so clear, so concise. Uh, The options between blessing or or, or cursing, um, obedience or disobedience, and and the ramifications as well. We get to choose our life. We get to choose whether or not we're blessed or cursed. We get to choose even our eternal location for the next life, uh, whether it's with you want we you want God or not, you want heaven or hell. You get to choose, and that's all he's saying right here. So we um, we need to pay attention to. His word and his warnings. Tragically, have we seen? And the Lord has uh, lifted up the Jews uh, as an example to us. They didn't listen, and so we read in verse verse six, chapter twenty-two. Now, this is what the Lord says concerning Judah's royal palace: I, I I love you as much as fruitful Gilead and the green forests of Lebanon but i will turn you into a desert with no one living within your walls i will call for wreckers who will bring out their tools to dismantle you they will tear out all of your fine cedar beams and throw them on the fire people from many nations will pass by the ruins of this city and say to one another why did the lord destroy such a great city and the answer will be because they violated their covenant with the Lord, their God, by worshiping other gods. Right here he mentions Gilead and, and Lebanon. And they were two locations known for their great forests. We we know according to 2 Chronicles chapter 2, verse 8, that the royal palace in Jerusalem was known as the palace of the forest of Lebanon also in 1 Kings chapter 7 verses 2 through 5 but after God's judgment the palace he says right here would be desolate and that's exactly what happened in 586 BC the Babylonians came and if you read Jeremiah 52 verse 13 it says that the king of Babylon Nebuchadnezzar burned the house of the Lord and the king's house, all the houses of Jerusalem, that is, all the houses of the great, he burned with fire. Imagine that, you know, you kind of kind of use your imagination a little bit. But what if like all the like the White House got burned down, the Pentagon got burned down? What if all the fancy houses of all the rich people were just burning? What if our nation was burning? That, that's what happened to them because of their sin. And for us as a nation, I don't know exactly what's going to happen. I think that most of us here are probably smart enough to know that there is a remnant of Christians in the United States of America. There is. There is some people who love the Lord. And so for God to judge our nation and just smash it down, it doesn't make any sense because we're not appointed to wrath. And so what's happening next on the prophetic calendar is the rapture of the church. And the Bible says, just like Enoch, he walked with God and then he was not. For God took him. One day, all the Christians are going to disappear. It's called the rapture of the church. And then we know that the judgment of God will come. Seven-year tribulation followed by a thousand years where Jesus will reign literally on earth. And then the final rebellion of the devil himself will be then thrust down by God and then will live in heaven forever and ever. But we have to be ready because that rapture can happen at any moment here we see jerusalem would be thoroughly judged and people would look and they say man what happened to that city it was such a beautiful city so blessed by god what what happened and verse 9 it gives us the answer because they violated their covenant with the lord their god by worshiping other gods let me ask you a question do you put anything before god do you put anyone before God? Because if you do, you're guilty of idolatry. We have to make sure that God is number one. You know, and of course, the unfortunately, the the, the Jews, they were really uh, uh, bad. They had been, you know, turned away from the Lord to all these other gods. Um, but whether it's uh, Buddha or, you know, Ashtoreth or Baal or money or sex or whatever it might be, I mean, it doesn't matter anyone or anything before God makes us guilty of idolatry. And so when I read stuff like this, you know what it's supposed to do? It should, and if not, something's wrong. It should strike a healthy fear of God in my life. Part of the reason I don't obey, I don't get drunk, I don't get high, I don't go you know, looking at chicks and stuff like that. But part of the reason is because I fear God. I fear, you know, the consequences of disobedience. This is kind of what this is intended to do when we see what happened to Jerusalem. The world, however, doesn't really take to heart the warning, which tragically is typical. You know, most people, when they come to a study like this, they go home and they're the same. They're the same as when they came. There's no difference, and there should be. When I was reading about the typical uh, warnings, how people don't listen, uh, there's this research done by scientists at the Cooperative Institute of Mesoscale Meteorological Studies. That's a big uh, title, huh? Anyways, they traveled to, a, to, they traveled to hard-hit cities and towns to try to understand why people died unnecessarily in storms that they say really should have been survivable. So the scientists explained, we give people days of alert that their general region may be threatened by a storm, but people know that even if a region in general is at risk, it doesn't necessarily mean there will be tornadoes that hit their house. So people wait to see if the tornado gets closer. They call it, this is what they call it, confirming the threat. But if they live like that in which they confirm the threat, it's then... That it becomes too little, too late. And the same is true for us. You know, this Bible is all the confirmation that we need. You know, maybe you're out there and you're thinking, oh, God will never discipline me. You know, I've been getting away with it for a long time. Maybe you're out there thinking it won't happen now or it won't happen to me. The rapture is not going to... I can go out this church and live the same way that I came in. I don't need to follow God. I don't need to listen to God. I don't need to read the Bible. I don't need to pray. I don't even want to be here. There are some people like that. There's no fear of God in their life. You know, and then they think, well, maybe if I see something a little closer then, you know, I'll get right. But it will be too late then. It's just fallen nature unfortunately, human nature. um, I was thinking about how even in Sodom and Gomorrah, the people symbolized society, and when Lot tried to warn them of the judgment to come, they laughed at him. Unfortunately, that's the way it is today. You know, in this case right here, we would see that some would die, others would be taken captive. And so we read in verse 10 of chapter 22, it says, do not weep for the dead, king or mourn his loss instead weep for the captive king being led away for he will never return to see his native land again for this is what the lord says about Jehoahaz or shalom if you have depending on what translation you have who succeeded his father king josiah and was taken away as a captive he will never return he will die in a distant land and he will never again see his own country now try to think of jeremiah he started prophesying under the reign of king josiah now king josiah was one of the best kings judah ever had so you had judah and you have hez i mean, sorry um josiah and hezekiah were probably the two best kings that the southern nation of judah ever had and so Jeremiah started prophesying thirteen years before Josiah died. So initially it was a pretty good reign, but then uh, Josiah made a mistake when um, Babylon was going to fight Egypt. Uh, Josiah went in to try to kind of like you know intervene, uh, and he ended up getting killed. Captured, um, they captured his son. We're going to see this after, after three months of reigning. And then his son, Jehoahaz, was carried away to Egypt. And so this is what we see right here. Josiah died, but Jehoahaz was carried away captive to Egypt. Now, I don't know what you guys think would be better. Um, Would it be better to die? Or would it be better to be captured by our enemy? You know, when you go to Israel, one of the places that you can visit is called Masada. Masada. And Masada, you'll see it, is this crazy, crazy fortress that Herod built. And man, uh, it's almost impregnable. And so, you know, when the, the Romans in 70 AD wiped out the Jews, 1.2 million Jews died, there was a, a host of them, close to a 1,000 of them, that fled to Masada. And they were up there. Uh, they say, historians tell us, for about seven months, they didn't want to surrender to the Romans. And so finally, when the Romans were able to get up there, um, they had found 967 of the Jews who committed suicide because they would rather die than be captured by their enemies. And so I don't know which is, you know, of course, I mean, those are two things that you probably never want to face. But right here in verse 10, he says, don't weep for the dead, weep for those who have been carried away. Because your whole life, you're there, never to return, You know, never to see your family again, never to see your country again. Especially when you think about it, your country was the promised land. Your whole life. Your whole life. Imagine some of these guys, I don't know, I mean, I know it's a different scenario, but in, in jail for life. Their whole life regretting the decisions that they had made. You don't want to be like that one day. You don't want to look forward and you look backward and you're thinking, man, if only I would have made the right decisions. Today's the day. My prayer is that we would surrender to the Lord today. And right here, when this all happened, we read in verse 13, and the Lord says, he he goes to the next king, what sorrows await Jehoiakim, who built his palace with forced labor, He builds injustice into its walls, for he makes his neighbors work for nothing. He does not pay them for their labor. He says, I will build a magnificent palace with huge rooms and many windows. I will panel it throughout with fragrant cedar and paint it a lovely red. But a beautiful cedar palace does not make a great king. Let me just pause there for a moment. Remember, I told you, Josiah, the great king, one of the greatest kings, dies. His son Jehoahaz he reigns for only three months. He gets carried away to Egypt, and so now Jehoiakim is king, and he's king at a time where, man, the country is hurting. The country's hurting, but what does he do? He just wants to build up his own kingdom, and he thinks I'll be a good king if I have like a good palace, you know. I don't know, I know this is different, but it's kind of like some guys are like, yeah, I'm a a, a successful man if I've got, you know, whatever the fancy car or things like that, you know, the big house. That doesn't make a good king. That doesn't make a godly man. He thought, I'll make his palace and I'm going to have all these guys work. He didn't even pay them. But he makes this amazing house. You know, sometimes, you know, our gardeners come, um, we have a gardener's every two weeks, and I just zell the guy, the payment, man. But I always think about stuff like this. I'm like, man, they don't even ask me for a payment. I could just not pay. I mean, they probably would eventually not show up, but then the Lord convicts me. He said, man, he'll get you (laughs) if you don't pay those guys, man. This is what he was doing. Beautiful house, cedar palace, man. But um, right here he says, but that's not what makes a king. He says in verse 15, but, but a beautiful cedar palace does not make a great king. Your father, Josiah, also had plenty to eat and drink, but he was just and right in all his dealings. That's why God blessed him. He gave justice and help to the poor and needy and everything went well for him. Isn't that what it means to know me, says the Lord? But you have eyes only for greed and dishonesty you murder the innocent oppress the poor and reign ruthlessly you know and, and god is going a deal with this so here's what messed up israel you guys are going to see this their their leaders were ungodly uh, not just their government leaders but their spiritual leaders and I think, in one sense, we can say the same thing about the United States of America. What has messed us up? We have our political leaders that don't fear God, and then we have pastors and leaders and people in the church that that are compromising as well. They're not sharing the word, they're not living the life. Maybe even sometimes like this, you know, they're greedy in it just for themselves. This is why our nation is in the condition that it's in. And to be honest, if I had to choose between the two, well, whose fault is it most, the president or the pastors? I would say it's the pastors, primarily them. And we're going to see that in Jeremiah chapter 23. But here's a king just greedy, not paying his workers, just greedy for the nice house and the stuff and all that. And God just says, man, I don't get it. Now, this is the brother to Jehoahaz. This is Jehoiakim. So his father, Josiah, was such a great king. What made him a great king? It says right here, he knew the Lord. That's what made him a great king, is that he knew the Lord. You know, that's the way it is in life. Maybe you won't be a king. But whatever it is, you know, do you know him? And that that right there is where it starts. The Bible says in John chapter 17, verse three, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, Jesus said to his father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. See, do you know the Lord? Do you really know the Lord? And then when you get saved, it's so cool because then you enter into a deeper relationship and you want to know him more. You know, what's this, this is salvation. You know, one day, and I'm telling you guys this, you're going to stand before Jesus Christ. And I know most of you here, who knows, maybe all of you here are saved and you're ready for that day. But if you're not really ready for that day, I need to read to you this verse right here Matthew 7 and verse 22. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And then I, Jesus says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I mean, it's crazy to think that some of these guys, even like with the spiritual positions and maybe even used by God, think about that in ways in which they cast out demons, they did all this stuff, but they never really knew the Lord. And that's why I encourage you guys here, man, don't play games, don't be half-hearted. You know, when we're looking at stuff like this, we're seeing the difference between a bad king and a good king, between heaven and hell. It's all about whether or not we really know the Lord. And then from there, it's getting to know him more. You know, because man, God wants to do this work. This is what knowing the Lord means. I mean, helping poor people. Earlier we read about the the foreigners, the strangers, you know, the the aliens. Uh, Sometimes even Christians will look down on them. Oh, they're from the other side. Man, you got to love them. That's what the Bible says. That's what I read. So we have to be really careful with stuff like that, you guys. And so God says, hey, this is justice, giving benevolence. Man, this is why it went well with Josiah. And the reason why he did those things is a fruit of his salvation. And so uh, we read here in verse 18, therefore, this is what the Lord says about Jehoiakim, son of King Josiah. The people will not mourn for him, crying to one another, alas, my brother, alas, my sister, his subjects will not mourn for him crying alas our master is dead alas his splendor is gone they're not going to say that he will be buried like a dead donkey (laughs) dragged out of jerusalem and dumped outside the gates and so in those days well what do you, you guys what do you do roadkill you know you got the animal on the on the street not to freak not to gross you out or anything right but somebody's got to take care of it right have you guys ever had to go out there and scoop up a squirrel or something and, on the streets anyways it happens somebody's got to you know, what do you do with that dead dog you know what they would do they would just drag it out the city gates that's all they did so when this guy died jehoiakim died god, god says right here he was such an awful leader You know, making these guys work, not paying for them, just in it for himself, that when he died, his epitaph would basically say, good riddance. And so here's the king thinking he's all that, when in all reality, when God weighed him in the balances, man, I don't think you can get much worse. And so we read in verse 20, he says, weep for your allies in Lebanon, shout for them in Bashan. Search for them in the regions east of the river. See, they are all destroyed. Not one is left to help you. I warned you when you were prosperous, but you replied, don't bother me. You have been that way since childhood. You simply will not obey me. And now the wind will blow away your allies. All your friends will be taken away as captives. Surely then you will see your wickedness and be ashamed. It may be nice to live in a beautiful palace panelled with wood from the cedars of Lebanon, but soon you will groan with pangs of anguish, anguish like that of a woman in labor. Man, I wish I would have followed the Lord when I was younger. Whatever you do, you young people, don't wait until you're older, until when you put it in a, you know fifth gear or something. You're like, you know what? Right now, I'm just gonna kind of cruise a little bit. And later on, I'll get serious with the Lord. You know, if you start getting serious with the Lord as a young person, think about all the way that you can learn the scriptures and the way that you can learn to discipline yourself and you can learn how to cultivate a powerful prayer life and how you can avoid making those mistakes that a lot of us made growing up that really we still reap the consequences of forgiven sin. You know, here, when we look at this right here, it's just so cool to see how God warns uh, Jeremiah and he tells them what's going to happen right here. It it would be a time of weeping when they saw other allies upon which they leaned instead of the Lord being destroyed. You know, isn't it interesting what he says right there in in verse 21? I warned you when you were prosperous, but you replied, (laughs) don't bother me. It's kind of like that, huh? When things are going great, maybe you have a lot of money in the bank. Even Jesus said in Matthew 19, 23, it's hard for the rich man. It's hard for the person who's prospering with so much gold to acknowledge their need for God. You know, and so for us, I know even though, you know, we go through our ups and downs in life, and sometimes it seems like it's only when things get really bad where people really pray. And God says, you shouldn't have to do that. It shouldn't be that way, man. You know, we have to make sure that we have a heart that seeks God all the time. You know, these kings with all that clout, politicians with all that pull, position, and power, without any fear of God, doing these things that were so wrong. You know, Romans 13, 4, it tells us that kings... And those in positions of authority are God's ministers to do good, to execute judgment upon those who do evil. But what happens, think about this, the United States is still kind of okay, but man, it's getting worse. What happens when they begin to execute judgment on those who do good? What happens when there's injustice in the economy, and the plundering of the poor, the murder of the innocent, no longer protecting our children? That's where we're at now. I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but the United Nations just recently they came down with a with a with a ruling, and you know they're they're spreading the word that it's okay for an adult to be to be sexually active with a minor. And what they're saying now is the minor, you know, they're saying they're old enough to make their own decisions. So this is the United Nations, and this will this will affect the whole world. So let me ask you a question: You got a, an adult man? with a 17-year-old, with a 16-year-old, with a 15-year-old, with a 14-year-old? I mean, where do you draw the line? I mean, right? Thank God we have certain you know, laws that say, well, 18 is an adult. You know, but we're, we're, what we're doing now is recapitulating to society, and we're no longer in the, the, those places of authority, those governing positions are no longer protecting our children. And so God, saw, God sees this injustice, the murder of innocents. I mean, how many babies have been aborted? You guys see this right here, it always naturally digresses, nations do, uh, to homosexuality and all the perversity of the sexual sins when they think they are God. Listen, mister, you're not God. He is. He invented family. He knows what's right and wrong. We have to submit ourselves to him. But what happens is when you turn away from the Lord, this is what happens. And so God says, I'm going to have to deal with you, Israel, and it's going to hurt. Verse 24, it says, As surely as I live, says the Lord, I will abandon you, Jehoiakim. Now, this is another king. This is the next king. You know, when you look at Israel, um, this king is also called Coniah. He's the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. And it says right here, even if you were the signet ring on my right hand, I would pull you off. I will hand you over to those who seek to kill you, those you desperately fear, to the king Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon and the mighty Babylonian army. I will expel you and your mother from this land and you will die in a foreign country, not in your native land. You will never again return to the land you yearn for. So some kings died and other kings got carried away. This right here was Jehoiakim, never again to return to the land. He would be carried away to Babylon. Now he was 18 years old when he became king and he reigned for only three months. So you can read his story in Second Kings 24, 8 through 12. And so we read in verse 28, why is this man Jehoiakim like a discarded, broken jar? Why are he and his children to be exiled to a foreign land? The answer is the same, disobedience. And I'm telling you guys, man, listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. You know, if he tells you not to gossip, don't gossip. And if he tells you to pray, what should you do? Pray, do you think the Lord has any say over how you spend your money? yeah, because it's his it's his. There's no area of my life that I can say, "Well, Lord, I got this one. No, I mean, my prayer is that we would just be an obedient people, you know, and and this is what we see right here because of their disobedience. This guy Jehoiakim was discarded like a broken jar. Now, this is a really interesting thing. i gonna tell you guys this real quick, real quick. Coniah. he's also called Coniah. You read that in Chronicles. I think it's First Chronicles chapter 3 and other places where they took the first portion of his name away. You know, not you know, Jehoiakim, you got Jeconiah, and then they took the the Yah out. Basically, they took like God's part, of his name out, and God started calling him his name without putting His name in there, type of thing, and and you might wonder, well, why did God do that? You know, why did God kind of change His name and take His name out? And and the reason is because even after all that was going on, and you see all that stuff, the guy was not surrendering and yielding himself to the Lord. Now I, I'm I was reading one story about uh, Alexander the Great. And they said that during the war that he saw a soldier in the battle that had a a bad attitude and he was lazy. And so you guys know who Alexander the Great is, man. This guy was a warrior, conquered the, the world in such a short period of time. And so he goes up to this guy, this soldier with bad attitude, lazy guy. He says, what's your name? And the soldier said, Alexander. So you know what Alexander the Great did? He got off his horse. He grabbed him by the shoulders and he shook him. He said, listen, you better change or you better change your name. (laughs) And I think in one sense, Jeconiah, what happened, God said, I'm going to change your name because you won't change. We're Christians. We bear his name. We should be like him, huh? Or is that just for the pastors? Is that just for like the other people? No. Is it for everybody? Yeah. That's the challenge and that's the beauty. Think about it, you guys. We now have the power of the Holy Spirit. And again, we won't be perfect, man, but we can be proper. We can be faithful. We can be a godly husband, godly wife. We can. God can make you a godly single person. It's so cool to know. You know, Jeconiah is an interesting character. It says right here in verse 29, O earth, earth, listen to this message from the Lord. This is what the Lord says. Let the record show that this man, Jehoiakim, was childless. He is a failure, for none of his children will succeed him on the throne of David to rule over Judah. And so it's an interesting... Uh, prophecy because you guys want to know something that's interesting this guy is in the lineage of jesus if you read the gospel of matthew chapter 1 verses 11 through 12 jeconiah is in the lineage and so but but here we read that there's a curse on him there's a curse that no one through his bloodline would be able to be part of the davidic dynasty And and so you're wondering, well, then how does it work? You know, how is it that he is in the you know genealogy in Matthew chapter one, and yet there's a curse through this guy? And the answer is because the genealogy in Matthew is in reference to the kingly lineage of Jesus, but the genealogy in Luke, which is gone not through Solomon but Nathan, is of the bloodline. And so what God did, this is an interesting uh, prophecy, is God took both and God put them together. Dr. Henry Morris said, Thus Jesus and he only had both the legal and genetic right to David's throne. And as the promised Shiloh was the last one who did, he shall indeed reign over the house of David forever. An interesting prophecy because it had to be of the kingly lineage, but it couldn't be of the cursed lineage. And so it had to be somebody just like Jesus. This is why we have the two genealogies uh, that fulfilled that prophecy. And so chapter 23, look what it says. It says, what sorrow awaits the leaders of my people, the shepherds of my sheep, for they have destroyed and scattered the very ones they were expected to care for, says the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says to these shepherds. Instead of caring for my flock and leading them to safety, you have deserted them and driven them to destruction. Now I will pour out judgment on you for the evil you have done to them. So you're looking at the United States of America and you're wondering, why are we so messed up? How many of you here would blame it on our government? Politicians, right? A lot of it has to do with them, right? So God get them, God save them, right? Right. And so some of you here, you need to start running for political office. I would vote for you, Carlos, if you ran for president. I promise you, man. You know, wouldn't that be cool? Imagine having Carlitos there. Well, whoever, you know, we need people to be in, in those places, right? So a lot of it, yeah, has to do with legislators, politicians, and all the things that are going on here. But you know what? A lot of it has to do with pastors. A lot of it has to do with guys that um and we have to watch ourselves man that um so many bad things have happened in the church you've had priests that molest kids think about that and it, not just in the catholic church it can happen in any church but what does that do what does that do to the people i don't want to take my kids to church i don't want to go to church you know guys that are they fall into having an affair they steal money from the church different things their hearts are not right and the church as a whole becomes weak. And so, one of the crazy things, I'll tell you this to whom much is given, much more is required. And so, think about a guy preaching. You know, I remember this one guy preaching the gospel and whatever, preaching against homosexuality, and he's engaged in that very activity. Think about that, you know, or someone else, you know, preaching against adultery while he's sleeping with five women in the church. I mean, stuff like that. What does that do? Does that make people stumble? Does that weaken the church? Absolutely. And so for us, there's, the Bible says, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that you shall receive a stricter judgment. And so this is what we see right here. God says, what sorrow awaits the leaders of my people, man, because they have destroyed the ones that they were expected to care for. That's why the Bible says in 1 Peter four seventeen that judgment begins in the house of the Lord. You know, we are more accountable. In Jeremiah's day, they were telling people, oh, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Don't worry about it. Don't listen to that crazy, you know, Jeremiah guy, that preacher guy was telling you that if you don't get right, you're going to go to hell. Don't listen to him. That's what they would say. And hey, you know God right here and and part of it is an interesting thing I'll see if I can tell you real quick, because they had the temple and because they had the prophecies regarding the messiah that that you know the lineage uh, of David and the Messiah was going to come, and so they were so set in that they didn't see the the what the damage that sin could do, and basically what happened, and I'll tell you guys real quick. You got a tree right here, and they're thinking, "Well, this is the Davidic tree. It's a big tree. God promised one day the Messiah is going to come." Jeremiah said, "No, I'm going to cut it down." God said, "I'm going to chop that tree down." And so, if you were there in Jeremiah's day, you might agree with those false prophets because you know God said, "Well, He's going to, you know, bring the Messiah through the Davidic dynasty," And, and so, but but you have to understand that God will not bless sin. And so what ended up happening is God chopped the tree down. You guys know that, right? In one sense, he chopped the tree down, but then have have any of you guys ever chopped the tree down and then maybe a little shoot starts growing from it? Well, that's what happened with Israel. Look what we read right here in verse 3. But I will gather together the remnant of my flock from the countries where I have driven them I will bring them back to their own sheepfold and they will be fruitful and increase in number. Now, one of the things I do love, I mean, I do struggle with Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Isaiah because they're like, boom, 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 and they're hitting us hard, right? But it's always cool the way it mingled in, even these prophecies of doom and gloom is prophecies of victory. One day the king, the king will come. And God says part of the sign is you're going to see that the nation of Israel is going to be regathered to their land. And this is a prophecy we see of the last of the last days. In 1948, when Israel was uh, became a nation again, there were only 700,000 Jews in all of Israel. In 1980, it grew to 3.2 million Jews and today there are more than 6.3 million Jews as well. And you might think, well, it's population growth. It's not. More than three million Jews have made what we call it's called the Aliyah, which is the immigration of Jews from the countries they've been scattered from, and they've gone back to the land, to the geographical, what else called the spiritual land. And so this is what we see right here that God says, and this is now, this is now, I will gather together the remnant of my flock from the countries verse four then i will appoint responsible shepherds who will care for them and they will never be afraid again not a single one will be lost or missing think about what's saying right there i the lord have spoken this is in reference to the apostles during the millennial kingdom you know that the shepherds here the responsible shepherds here is what it says in Matthew 19:28 Jesus said to them assuredly I say to you that in the regeneration when the son of man sits on the throne of his glory you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel so the millennial kingdom the apostles ruling in Israel responsible shepherds then who's missing the king The king, and that's what we read next in verse five. For the time is coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line. He will be a king who rules with wisdom. He will do what is just and right throughout the land. And so verse five um, in the New King James, it says it this way. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. And so the New Living Translation, unfortunately, doesn't use the word branch, but that word branch is so important, man. It's a huge prophecy. And just when you thought Jeremiah was killing all the kings, so to speak, as if he's done with the Davidic dynasty, he puts it all together. He says he will be the only perfect pastor or politician. He will be the king of kings. And in those days, in Jeremiah thirty-three fifteen, it says, In those days and at that time I will cause to grow up to David a branch of righteousness. He shall execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. See the same thing Isaiah chapter 4, verse 2. In that day the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and appealing for those of Israel who have escaped. And so um you know, we don't have time to, to to get into this because I don't want to go really fast over this. Um but I will say this. Um when you as you continue looking at this, I think we have a picture real quick. Let me show you guys a picture of the see what I'm talking about? See how the stump was cut, the tree was cut. That's probably not a perfect picture of the branch growing out, but that's what happened. God cut down the king's dynasty of David In one sense was gone, but then the branch came out. We're going to see, especially in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, how that shoot comes out and it's really, really cool. And as he goes on and he talks about this whole thing, he uses a beautiful title of the Lord. It's called Yahweh to Sidkenu. Which means the Lord, our righteousness, and so um, that was the title of today's study, and I was supposed to get to that, and I don't, I didn't really get to it as well as I would have liked to, but I, I, I need to tell you real quick, you know, but you know that's how you get right with God, and you know, how could someone like me stand before a holy, perfect God and have no sin? How can I be right in His sight? That's the righteousness of God. And the only way is by placing my faith in Jesus Christ. It's so cool to see how God is our righteousness. And that's the title that he gives right here to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, praise God. Uh, I know most of you guys here are saved, right? If you're not saved, raise your hand right now. Repeat after me this prayer. That's what they would say in Calvary Chapel days. Um, if you're not saved or if you're not sure whether or not you're saved maybe you have questions you know talk to us we'd love to share with you man what god did in our life and how he made us you know right but um for the rest of us here maybe the the primary message is praise god you know let's thank him today yeah we try and we want to you know, dot every I and cross every T. We're we're not going to be able to, but we try to. But thank God for the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ into our account so that when you place your faith in him, he sees no sin in your life because of the blood of Jesus. This branch is so cool, what Jesus did. And so when that hits my heart, I'm like, Lord, thank you so much that you've forgiven me of all my sin. It doesn't make me want to go out and say, oh, I just go ahead and sin then because, you know, it's forgiven. It should do the exact opposite. It should say, the Lord's forgiving me of my sin. Praise God, I have peace with God now. Thank you, Lord. And now I just want to live for you. I just want to live for you. Remember we talked about earlier, knowing the Lord, that's how you get saved. And knowing him more is how we get sanctified. And so let's seek him. Another thing that I was thinking about, the midweek people, and uh, it's funny how (laughs) midweek people, I shouldn't call you that, huh? I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, I was just thinking, Lord, I'll bet you almost anything you're using their life. I'll bet you these people are out there at work and highways and byways because isn't that what we want? Lord, use my life. You know, today I was blessed to be able to go and and pray with the police department and they had their staff meeting and the, the first time the chief had ever opened up those types of doors, you know, for us. And it's just so cool. And so continue with that, my friend. And as a matter of fact, I would even say this, pray, if you're not like reaching out, then my prayer is that you would ask the Lord, Lord, who do you want me to reach out to? And then you start praying for them. And then you shoot them a text. Or then you give him a, a call or a visit. The Lord will show you what to do. But, you know, I was reminded the other day, Calvary Chapel, um, how do they grow the sheep? Beget the sheep. They're the ones leading people to the Lord. They're the ones inviting people to church. God wants to use your life. And so I pray you would let Him.